This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Lilly Oncology. Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the award-winning podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening. Dr. Stephen Johnston is Professor of Breast Cancer Medicine and Consultant Medical Oncologist at the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust and the Institute of Cancer Research in London. At the European Society for Medical Oncology Virtual Congress 2020, Dr. Johnston presented results from the Monarch E trial. This study compared treating people diagnosed with early stage hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer with a high risk of recurrence with either standard hormonal therapy after surgery, or adding two years of Verzenio, which has the chemical name abamacyclib, to the standard hormonal therapy. He joins us today to talk about the results. Dr. Johnston, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So first, could you tell us the characteristics of this particular type of cancer, early stage, hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, that make it have a high risk of recurrence? Sure. I mean, we designed this trial really targeting those patients that we know um, still have up to a 20% risk of their cancer coming back within the first five years, despite everything that we give them in terms of their standard surgery, radiotherapy, chemotherapy. So these are node positive patients, but they are um, node positive patients with, with extra risk. And that's driven by either the number of nodes. So we uh, included patients who had four or more lymph nodes, and that was actually 60% of the patient population. Or if they had one to three nodes involved, they had to have one of three other risk factors in their tumor that we know gave them that increased risk. And that was either a big tumor, uh, at least uh, five centimeters or more, um, so T3, um, a high-grade tumor, so grade three, Or if they didn't have either of those, they had to have an increase what we call cell proliferation, a marker called key 67 that tells us that the cancer is dividing more quickly. So all those characteristics we calculated looking at some big data sets from the uh, American group, the NSABP, a West German group that had looked at nodes and grade and calculated that, yes, despite the best chemotherapy and the best treatment, these patients, if they had these features, may still have a chance of the cancer coming up of up to 20% in the first five years. So that was our background for the control arm, which we needed to see whether we could improve upon. Because these these patients may have uh, a more aggressive cancer. It might be resistant to hormone treatment. So hence the reason to add something in that we know can, can overcome that. So that was really the premise for the design, to really target a a group with a, with what we call an unmet need. Um, and indeed, over 95% of the patients had received chemotherapy, many of them before surgery, because that's often what we do if people have high, uh, large tumors with nodes involved. So that's roughly the population that we pitched to uh, the study at. Okay. And now, why did you, my understanding, or I know that Verzenio right now, at least in the U.S., is really only approved to treat metastatic disease. Why did you think that Verzenio might help reduce this risk of recurrence? 
So um, abemaciclib or Vizinia is, is, in, is approved um, in only metastatic disease, both in the U.S. and in, in Europe and the rest of the world, based on trials called uh, Monarch 2 and Monarch 3. Monarch 3 looked in combination with an aromatase inhibitor if the cancer came back as metastatic disease and showed significant improvement of, of control of the cancer compared to hormone treatment alone. But Monarch 2 was really interesting because that looked at patients whose cancer was coming back on endocrine therapy. So they previously had an aromatase inhibitor and it either uh, the cancer came back while they were on their aromatase inhibitor or if they had uh, progressed having had that as treatment for their metastatic disease. And in that particular trial where abemaciclib was added to a different hormone treatment, fulvestrant, not only did it improve the control of the cancer, so more cancers shrunk down and were controlled for longer, it also improved the survival of patients in metastatic disease by, by an, over, an average of over nine months. Some patients were, were, were staying on treatment for a very long period of time. So we knew in advanced disease that the drug had activity, particularly in patients where they, the cancer was showing features of endocrine resistance and spreading um, potentially to areas such as certain sites of metastases in the liver, and it had very substantial activity in that scenario. So if in the early breast cancer setting, we had a group of patients that were potentially at great risk of their cancer coming back on hormone treatment uh, and potentially spreading to other sites of the body, that's where we thought the drug had shown real promise in advanced breast cancer, and it was worth testing in the early breast cancer setting if it would uh, prevent the cancer from, from coming back, uh, particularly in the early years. Okay. Uh, could you give us an overview of the results then? Sure. So this was a, a, an analysis that was a pre-planned um, interim analysis driven by what we call how many events. So how many in the trial um, of the two arms overall, how many recurrences of cancer had started to occur. So we had to have at least 75% of the of the total planned events, which was 390. We had about 320 events when the analysis was done. So that allowed the data to be looked at by the Independent Data Monitoring Committee and, and determine whether we had uh, had a positive trial or not. And what the, what the, um, the results show is that at this time point, there was a 25% reduction in the risk of, the, uh, of invasive disease uh, developing, whether that's a recurrence of the cancer uh, locally, but usually um, in terms of spread to other sites. And if we looked just at what we call distant um, relapse-free survival, so that's whether the cancer had gone to a second site, such as the bone, liver, or whatever, there was a 28% reduction in risk. And this was really at the point of uh, two years um, where we saw uh, this, this difference developing. That's where the curves uh, started to separate. And the biggest reduction was in the risk of bone uh, and liver metastases, which, again, um, was what we suspected might happen, that we would have an impact on preventing uh, metastatic sites of disease developing in an early time frame. So it is an early analysis. The, the median, what we call follow-up, so how long we've been following patients overall is um, 15 months. Uh, this is a 5,500 patient trial, so it's a big trial and more, more analysis will continue. But this early impact is impressive um, and that's why we've, we've announced the results because it has met the, what we call the primary endpoint of the trial and showed this 25% reduction uh, at an early stage.
Okay, thank you. And how long do you plan to follow the people in the study overall? Well, what we're always interested in these early breast cancer trials is whether ultimately it cures more patients, whether the, or the overall survival. The moment we're just measuring what we call disease-free survival, how long patients are free of their cancer coming back. But ultimately, mm -hmm. we want to know that we cure more patients. And to do that, we will probably need to follow the trial through to 2027 or 2029, so at least for another seven to eight years um, before we would get an, an impact on the overall survival. Um, also, we know that um, the cancer, hormone-positive breast cancer, is not just the early recurrences, can the cancer come back at a later stage? So we, we want to know whether two years of the drug will impact and stop the cancer from coming back five, six, seven, eight years later. And we're far too early to know that. So it's really important that patients in the trial continue to be followed and monitored. It was a Herculean effort of uh, over 600 hospitals in 38 countries around the world, every continent. And I spoke to all the investigators last week at some webinar meetings to give them the results um, and uh, really thank them and their patients and their staff, um, but really encourage them that we must continue to follow patients in this trial because we don't yet know whether the drug will have um, uh, what the level of further ongoing Im impact will be and also what the ongoing safety uh, of the drug is, which is what we, is really also important in these early breast cancer studies. Sure. And I'm also curious because I know I've seen other studies saying that a lot of women stop taking their hormonal therapy early. Um, sure. You know, they don't complete the full five years. Now, I know they only have to take the Verzenio for two years, but I guess I'm wondering if the, if someone stops taking the hormonal therapy early, are they out of the trial? And do you think that, I mean, clearly that's going to affect the results somehow. Yeah. So at the moment, the patients in this study were highly motivated to go into the trial because they knew they had a big risk and their compliance was, was really excellent. Yes, now there were some discontinuations. Um, we had 16% of patients who uh, discontinued the abemocyclib, either due to adverse events that we that weren't managed, couldn't be managed by uh, dose reductions, um, or um, they withdrew consent, or their cancer had obviously um, progressed. But that's a you know some other studies have a much higher um, discontinuation rate. The endocrine therapy alone arm patients who were just taking hormone therapy alone. I think there was less than 1% who discontinued. Uh, and again, this is an early analysis. But it also attests to a really second, uh, a really interesting observation that we found in the safety data when we looked at what the main side effect of hormone treatment is. Yes, we were worried about the side effects of abemocyclib. There were no new signals, and we know about the main side effects, which relate to diarrhea and how to manage it. But with hormone treatment, the main side effect is hot flushes and joint symptoms, arthralgia. And this was the most common adverse event in the hormone alone therapy arm. 31% of patients had some form of arthralgia, 21% had hot flush. But really interestingly, when the bemocyclib was added to that, we had a 30% reduction in these hormone-like side effects. Now, some people might have thought that was a play of chance and they were worried about their other side effects of a bemocyclib, so didn't report their joint symptoms and so on. But it's an observation we've seen before in another neoadjuvant trial of palbocyclib and hormone treatment that we reported uh, a couple of years ago. And we saw the same 30% reduction in hot flushes and joint symptoms. So there may well be a mechanism, an interaction of the CDK inhibitor and the hormone treatment to 
modulate or change some of the really troublesome side effects that we have with hormone therapies, particularly aromatase inhibitors. So that's an observation and a hypothesis that we'll just have to look at in, in more detail. But to answer your original question, adherence to therapy is important because if it has benefit, it can only work if, if people take it. And so there was a lot of discussion at the ESMO meeting yesterday about discontinuations and whether or not that reduces the likelihood of treatment working. But in our trial, the discontinuations of hormone therapy were very low. Okay. That sounds great. Thank you. Um, I'm also curious, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the chemotherapy. Um, I sure. know you said that about 95% of people in this study had previously been treated with chemo. Is there anything in the results that suggests that potentially a certain group could skip chemo and just have the Verzenio and the hormonal therapy? Or because so many people in this study had previous chemo, it's hard to tell. Yeah, I think, you know, when we were originally designing this trial five, five, four, five years ago, one of the really radical ideas we put on the table was, would we actually do a trial in high-risk early breast cancer and put this treatment up against chemo and say, can we do without the chemo and use this treatment instead? It was rejected at the time as maybe far too radical. But it's back on the table in people thinking now, um, particularly because in metastatic disease, we've done two trials comparing CDK4-6 inhibitors to chemotherapy. One, a Korean study called Young Pearl, which showed that the chemo was a bit better. The other one from the Spanish group showing that it was exactly the same. So it's back on the table, but this trial, because it was very high-risk patients, node positive and high-risk node positive, then clinicians would have been very anxious and worried not to give chemotherapy. And so that's why 95% had had chemo. We had 40% of the patients, 43% were, were premenopausal, and we had 37% who had neoadjuvant chemo before surgery. So that speaks to a higher risk, younger often patient population with big tumors. And so clinicians are bound to still give chemo. But despite the chemo, these patients in the control arm, 12% had relapsed by two years. That was well on target for the 20% relapsing at five years that we had designed the study around. So despite chemotherapy, these have patients have unmet needs and high risk. And you have to then ask, well, chemo didn't solve the cancer for them. Um, would we be better to give this drug alone? But at the moment, this is an add-on after chemotherapy where it, we know it, makes, it synergizes and makes the endohormone treatment better and overcomes hormone resistance. So that's really why we designed it. But it's a very good question. Can we even challenge chemotherapy? But we'll have to do other trials to confirm that. Okay. And as sort of a side note, I noticed that men were allowed to be in this trial. Were there any men in this study? Yes, indeed, there were. So there was uh, less than, uh, there was about just under 1% of the, of the trial had men in it. But to be precise, it was 21 men in the abemocyclib arm, 15 men in the endocrine therapy alone arm. So we know that 1% of breast cancer is male. There was no reason to deny men in the trial uh, access to the drug. It was 07 and 0.5% respectively in the arms were, were male. So the, the numbers are very, very small, so you can't draw any conclusions, but there was no reason to exclude them. We, we treat men who get recurrent breast cancer with these drugs, so there was no reason we felt to exclude them in a early breast cancer trial. 
Okay. And sort of following up on your comment about 40% of the people in the study were premenopausal, mm-hmm. were they taking tamoxifen with ovarian suppression? Because I know that for the approval of Verzenio, it's usually given with an aromatase inhibitor. So I wondered if you saw any differences in um, how effective it was. So in terms of um, the first hormone treatment that was given, 30% was tamoxifen, 70% was an aromatase inhibitor. But the women on tamoxifen, the number that got ovarian suppression as well was about 7%. And for those who had an aromatase inhibitor, the addition of ovarian suppression was about 14%. Now, you might think that's a relatively low number, but remember, a lot of the women in their sort of 40s who might have had chemo are then put into the menopause because of their chemotherapy, so may not need ovarian suppression added in. So again, there's no reason why the drug doesn't work with other endocrine therapy. Indeed, at this ESMO meeting, there was a trial presented by uh, my colleague Erica Hamilton from the US called Next Monarch, where tamoxifen uh, and abemocyclib was compared to abemocyclib its own in two doses, and the tamoxifen and the abemocyclib was better. So we know that the combination is there. We're monitoring very closely some of the adverse events because there's a low incidence of uh, venothrombotic events, and we know that can be a trouble with tamoxifen. And again, in the metastatic study, that they, they reported uh, a number of patients who, who developed venothrombotic events, and we reported the data uh, in the Monarch E trial. The, the incidence of uh, venothrombotic events is, is less than 2%, so the incidence is very low. So that aside, in terms of safety indications, there's no reason why you can't combine this drug with any endocrine therapy, tamoxifen, aromatase inhibitor, indeed colvestrant in the metastatic setting. So um, approval is being sought now through the regulatory authorities, and it will be aligned to the trial that basically if tamoxifen is the drug of choice in premenopausal women, that can be combined with uh, abemocyclib and is known to be very effective. Okay, thank you. Um, And you mentioned some side effects. I believe diarrhea was the most common. Uh, So can you talk a little bit about that? How many people had it? How was it managed? Sure. So we know already from using abemocyclib in advanced disease that diarrhea is the most common side effect. And we saw no new safety signals in the trial. So diarrhea was the most frequent adverse event. Um, In terms of the uh, overall frequency, yes, up to 80% get some form of diarrhea, but the vast majority is grade one or two. So less than 7%, I think it was, had what we call grade three diarrhea, which is the most troublesome form. Now, the key thing is education of both the oncologist and and the patient to act quickly. So the median onset, in other words, how soon the diarrhea comes is within eight days. So it's in the first week or so. And it lasts on average five to six days. So it's short-lived. And the key thing is to uh, give anti-diarrheal medication, loperamide, as soon as the first loose stool occurs. And then, if necessary, omit the dose of the bemocyclib for a few days until the symptoms settled and or dose reduce. Now, in terms of dose reductions, 40% of patients had a reduction of their dose. And we know from, again, advanced disease that the lower dose, 100 milligrams twice a day, is just as effective as the 150 milligram twice a day dose. It has the same benefit. You find the dose that the patient is um, suited to in terms of their side effects. 
And that then allows the patients to stay on study. And less than 5% of the abemocyclic patients had to actually come off the trial for diarrhea. So you essentially adjust, give the antidiarrheal medication, maybe omit the dose, but adjust it for a few days, reduce the dose, and then patients can stay on drug. Um, and that's really the key learning in terms of education for both clinicians and patients. And once they know that, because it occurs very early, um, that allows them to stop. So we, 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 I showed the data about the diarrhea uh, severity and frequency over time, and we know that it significantly reduces in frequency and severity over time. And after three months, majority of patients have no diarrhea events, and if they do, it's just mild grade one uh, with intermittent loperamide being used to help it. So it is manageable. It just requires a bit of education to know how to interact. Okay. Thank you. Um, I know the CDK4-6 inhibitors were required to put a warning about um, interstitial lung disease uh, within the last year. Did you see anything like that in this trial? Sure. It was uh, an FDA-mandated um, uh, warning that's gone on to all the CDK inhibitors. So it was uh, an adverse event of interest that we followed. So in terms of ILD, yes, there were events reported, but there were events reported in the endocrine therapy alone arm. So there were 1.2% of patients in the endocrine therapy alone had some form of so-called interstitial lung disease versus 2.7% uh, in the abemocyclib arm. Now, in terms of what we call severe grade 3 interstitial lung disease, where it's definitely uh, re either radiological or symptomatic changes, the number of patients was 9, so 0.3% with abemocyclib. Uh, versus one with the endocrine therapy alone. So really, in terms of severe ILD, um, uh, it's single digits in this 5,000-patient study. But we've reported in the paper and in the, um, the, the data the overall that, will, that would have fallen into some form of um, uh, diagnosis of a pneumonitis. But of interest, it had occurred in the endocrine therapy alone arm as well. Hmm, that is interesting. Well, thank you. So these results sound very positive. Again, they are early results. So where do we go from here? Uh, obviously, more research is necessary, but are we going to see um, a change in the uh, use of Verzenio based on this research? Do we have to wait for the final results? What, what do you see in the future? Well, I mean, the, the sponsor company is um, submitting an application to the uh, FDA in the States and the European Regulatory Authority because the trial met its endpoint. And therefore, for these specific high-risk patients, so node positive with these high-risk features who are at increased risk of recurrence up to 20% in the first five years, this offers uh, a, a new treatment that can reduce that risk of recurrence by 25%, particularly in the first few years. Um, and therefore, there's enough um, justification uh, because this is a statistically robust and solid uh, result that they can file for that. But, but it also tells us that we're not sure yet whether this is a treatment for everybody because there was another trial, um, the PALAS trial with a different CDK inhibitor, ostensibly very similar design, but included some node negative patients. Um, but, but some of these high-risk patients where their result, the, the, the trial was stopped because there was absolutely no benefit at all. So it's clear, I think, that there may be a very select group. And at this stage, 
it might be those that um, we know are destined to, to recur early. They're the unmet need, and they're showing signs of endocrine resistance. And this is a drug that's demonstrated its track record in reversing endocrine resistance. What we want to do is now be a little bit more sort of smart and, and look to see if we can find out that endocrine resistance in, in a wider group of early breast cancer patients. So there was a trial in the UK called POETIC, where we gave aromatase inhibitors for two weeks before surgery and measured what we call key 67, uh, which is a measure of proliferation. We've, we've, we've done that in this trial. We haven't presented our data yet uh, on the key 67. But if you give the, uh, an aromatase inhibitor for two weeks before a lady has an operation and measure how fast the cells are dividing before and after that um, two weeks of treatment, if the cancer has a high proliferation and the levels drop right down, you know the hormone treatment's working and we know from the outcome that those patients are going to do very well when we followed them for five years. But if your cancer doesn't drop down, in other words, the proliferation doesn't change with letrozole, that tumor is showing innate primary resistance. And we know from the poetic trial that those patients have a 20% chance of coming back in five years, exactly the same risk as the patients in the Monarchy trial. And those are patients that may have smaller tumors, grade two tumors, nodes are negative, but they've they're primed, their cells are primed to be resistant to the hormone treatment. And you can use a short exposure of an aromatase inhibitor to personalize and test that endocrine resistance in a simple way before surgery. So we've designed a trial called POETIC A, um, which will now take um, the study for uh, this concept forward and select those patients not responding to an aromatase inhibitor for two weeks and then randomize them to a bemocyclib for two years or the control arm because this will now look for patients with biological risk of recurrence mm. as opposed to clinical pathological risk of recurrence which is big tumors lots of nodes which is what we did in this current trial so that will test the concept of whether you can really fine-tune for an individual patient, their, their level of risk. Um, and because these drugs are expensive, they've got side effects, and they're not to be used for everybody, we really have to define those that benefit. Coming back to Monarch E, we're doing a lot of what we call translational research. We've collected tumors and blood samples from all of the patients in the trial, and we're going to be measuring lots of different things about their the gene expression, um, the various biomarkers to learn more about who benefits and, and who doesn't. So ultimately, I see in years to come, these drugs will be available, but they'll be tailored to the patients that we've learned are the ones that really need it. Well, that sounds very exciting. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for joining us. This has been very, very educational. I appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.